questions. What, what are some of the hardest questions you've ever had to answer? There's a story in the New Testament, I mean, Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the Old Testament, and where we're going with this is Moses is going to get asked this question in about another chapter, but I want to walk through what brought us to that moment. The book of Exodus, starting in chapter 3, it's Moses and the burning bush. Now, a little bit of history here. Uh, the Israelites were being held captive under the rule of the king of Egypt. The Egyptians had made the Israelites their slaves, and the king saw that too many Israelite women were having babies. So there were more Israelite babies being born than Egyptian babies being born. And as kings were in those times, remember king, what King Herod did when Jesus came along, he ordered that every baby boy, two years and younger, uh, their life be taken from them. He was so paranoid about somebody threatening his power. So it's not that different than what was happening throughout history. So this particular king in Egypt and so uh, is doing similar things. He, so the Egyptians were uh, not growing as fast as the Israelites. And so the king saw this happening and he ordered that all Israelite baby boys were to be thrown into the Nile River. Now this is a barbaric time in history. This, this really happened. It's hard to imagine. But that was the order to do that. So enter Moses. Moses was born in an Israelite home and he was now three months old. And so when, he, when his mother was ordered to put Moses into the Nile River, she obeyed that order, except she put him in a basket that wouldn't sink. And she put her baby boy in the Nile, just like the king had said. But he was going to be floating downstream a little. And God had a plan, and he floated downstream a little bit, and one of the ladies saw it said, oh, bring this child to me, happened to be Pharaoh's daughter, the king's daughter. If, I mean, if that's, that's not coincidental, of course. So Moses is now in another home. He's a, he's a baby. He's now going to live in the home of, of the Egyptian who hates all the Israelites, but the mother has fallen in love with this child. His daughter has fallen in love with this child. So they obeyed the king's order, put him in the river in a basket that would float, and then the rest is history. And he began, he would grow up into this family of Israelites. Now you go to Exodus chapter two, and this is where Moses goes out to see how his, he, he's learning now that he's 40 years old by now, 40 years later, and he's learning now how badly the Israelites have been treated historically by the Egyptians. He's seeing it for himself. He's an Israelite. Of course, his family didn't quite know that yet. Or maybe they did know it, but he didn't know what was going on in the rest of the world, in the rest of the country. So he's now 40 years old. He sees an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew slave. And so Moses steps in and he kills the Egyptian who's trying to kill the Israelite. And he's assuming no one saw it happen until the next day when someone said, I saw you do that and you're in deep trouble. So Moses at 40 years old, 40 years of his life, he heads out as far as he can travel. And it says to the area of Midian, the hills of Midian, and he took a job as a shepherd, end up the, the a farmer that hired him had a daughter that Moses would later marry. They married, and Moses spent the next 
40 years of his life tending sheep. So he's now 80 years old when this story begins to unfold and take place uh, that we now have come to know uh, the, the question, the great question that was posed to him. So what is that in your hand? That's where we're heading with this whole thing. And I want you to be thinking about that right now. This is for you. As you can evaluate, you can think through, maybe pray through as we go through the story, what is it in your hand? And Moses will be asked this question, and really we're all being asked the question, I think all the time. This is a great time at the beginning of a new year. What are you carrying in your hands? Now Moses is approached by God, and it happens in a burning bush. And so that's where things got really interesting. And so in this burning bush, Moses goes over to look at it, of course. It's a bush on fire, but it's not burning. This is Exodus chapter 3. And he saw this. He saw this phenomenon. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses. (laughs) And I would have run the other way. I'd have been terrifying. There's a bush that's on fire that talks. And he calls out, Moses. Why is that bush burning up? I must go see it. And he goes and he sees it. And then he wonders, oh boy. And then suddenly the God of the bush says, do not come any closer. The Lord, take off your sandals for where you're standing is holy ground. I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid. He was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said to him, I have seen the the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. Go down to verse 9 of Exodus 3. So here's how we're going to do this. I'm sending you, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, and you must lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses is 80 years old at that point. And Moses said, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead these people out of Egypt? So Moses is gonna pose some questions. First one is, he says to God, no, wait wait a minute, God, why? It's kind of really a why me. He's starting, we're starting to realize he doubts himself. Who am I that you would want me to do this? Again, go down the list. 80 years old, you know, been out in isolation in the world for, you know, for 40 years now. And then he said, well, what if people don't believe me? Who should I, who should I tell them has sent, has sent me? When the people ask me, who, who are you and what do I tell them? And, and God says, well, you, you tell them the God of, the Lord God of your fathers. That's who, that's who he says, okay, that's, that's who you are, Really? So he's doubting God. He's doubting himself already. Now he's doubting God. Oh, really? This is going to work for me? When people say, who, who sent you to, to save us from Egyptians? And then he does exactly what any of us would have done. He says, well, what if they don't believe me? That's a legitimate worry. He says, what if they don't believe what I'm telling them? Are they going to really buy this thing that I saw God in a bush that was on fire, not burning? Never did see his face or heard his voice. And God said, he wants to use me to put things back in order for the Israelites. Why me? I have no idea. I don't think I should be doing this. And then 
In other words, figuring out what God really wants here, and are you really going to believe it if I tell you what really happened? So that, there's his questions. He's posing three questions to God. He has no idea what's getting ready to happen to him. So then God asked the big question to Moses. What is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? And so Moses answers. It's a staff, a shepherd's staff. We've talked about those before, how important they were to the shepherd. It was a means of protecting themselves. It might be a means of, of saving the sheep. Sometimes they had the crook at the top that a shepherd could reach out and pull a lamb back to safety if that was so needed. So he's got his staff. And God says, well, what, is, what is that in your hand? Well, it's, it's a staff, a shepherd's staff. And then God says, throw it down. And he does. It becomes a snake. That's when I would have definitely been out. Of, you know, you're going to need somebody else for this one. So he threw, it, threw his, his, you know, his, his, his shepherd's staff, which is like gold. I mean, that was the most important thing he had to his name. He needed that for his work. He needed that for protection. He needed that to protect the sheep. And God says, throw it down. And it does, it becomes a snake. And then God says, pick it up. And that's what I would, not a, you know, not a chance. None of us, tell me none of us in this room, I'm not the only one. When God turns your, your, you know, something in your hands into a snake and then tells you to bend down, pick the thing up by the tail. Thankfully, Moses did. By that point, surely he's begun to realize something's happening here that is highly unusual and maybe I need to really pay attention to this. So he puts the staff down, becomes a snake and then God says, now pick it up. And he picked it up and it's back to being a staff again, the shepherd's staff. God says, hey, put your hand in your pocket. He does. And he takes it out. It's ruined with leprosy. Sores and blood. All of a sudden, he's a, a leper. And then God says, put it back in your pocket. He does. Now take it out. And he does and it's all clear. Now, that, that would, I think that would have done it for me. To see and feel what the hand was for a moment. Then to watch me put my hand in my pocket and it's just like it was when this conversation started. And then God says to Moses, it's even better. There's even more coming, but here's, here's a hint of what's happening. One day you will take water from the Nile and you'll pour it on the bank and it will turn to blood. And then Moses throws the best excuse at it. I've used it before. I bet I'm not the only one in the room that has used it before. It's in chapter four, verse 10, where Moses, now he goes a new direction. He had already kind of gone through, are they gonna believe me? And how can I believe this? And what if they don't believe me? And, and now God's done what he's gonna do and shown him the power that he has to give Moses what he needs to do, what God's telling him to do. And now Moses does this in verse 10. But I'm not eloquent. I'm not good with words. I'm not a good speaker. Please send somebody else. And I bet I'm not the only one in the room that has used that. I used it literally about 40 years ago. Didn't work. Not eloquent, not good with words, not a good speaker. Send somebody else. And then God kind of concedes a little bit and says, okay, your brother Aaron will go with you. He, you can, he will help you speak and you can help him and together you can share this great message, this great news to the Israelites. And then he said this, take this staff in your hands so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Take this in your hands. You will perform mighty things with it. 
Kind of reminded me a little bit to me back to David and Goliath, where you know David shows up with, to the giant with a few rocks and was mocked, and everybody made fun of him. And of course, what he had in his hand is what God had put in his hand, and he used what he had in his hand, and he took down the giant. And shocked everybody, of course, that he had the ability to do that. So God says, now this staff, now this, this staff that we turn to a snake and back into a staff, you take this with you, and with it, you will perform miraculous signs. Here's what's interesting. A few minutes ago, it was just a shepherd's staff or a walking stick. And now it will be used to carry out God's will for all of his people. These people will in fact get freed from Egypt. It will be another 40 years. And Moses can't, I mean, he's, you know, even, even then at 80 years old, I mean, people lived to be quite old in those times, not everybody, but you're already 80 and God's given you a new job. Here's what I've been saying all morning. To, to the, if you're 80 years old, you're not done and if you've settled for, you know, rock and chair and social security, you've got more you can do and God is wanting to know what's in your hand. And he's going to show you what's in your hand because I don't care if you're 80 or 85, we need you to help us. We need your influence. We need your presence. You help us keep in touch with kind of the world that we never knew. So never, never underestimate what God can do, no matter how old you are or how young you are. Don't ever underestimate that. God will give you the tools you need to do what he wants you to do. And when God calls you to do something, he knows you can do it. He knows that. If you'll depend on him and listen to him and follow him. Now, in those days, it was a burning bush. In these days, it's this thing called a Bible. It is loaded down with clarity and instructions. There's a whole lot in it that's confusing. It takes a little time to know the future. And there are things in that Bible we will never know, that we will never understand. Get used to that. It's this thing called faith. That's why we study the Bible. We always find something new. Every time I go back through a book of the Bible that I've already been through multiple times, I still find something I didn't see before. And that's why it's worth reading. That's why it's worth investing some time in. God can take simple things that we may assume to be of little value and he can do great things if you'll trust him to use whatever is in your hand. You've had a little time to think about it. What, what's in your hand? For example, you may have some things in your hands you need to let go of before he'll give you something else in those hands. Starting the new year is a great time. I think it's a great time for us to be talking about what we're going to be talking about these next six, seven, eight weeks. But it's a, this is a good moment, folks, for just as being Americans, the United States of America, and it's New Year's, the first week of the year. And it's time for us to take a good hard look at some baggage we've been carrying. Maybe it's a hurt we inflicted on somebody else or a hurt they inflicted on us. Maybe there's some, uh, a grudge you're holding. Maybe there's some bitterness. Maybe there's anger. Maybe there's some arrogance. You know, you, you're, you think you just can't get enough of yourself and how good you are. You can't leave the mirror. You love the mirror. You like looking at yourself because you're so blown away by how awesome you are. You got problems, okay? Let me just tell you. You need counseling if that is you, all right? What, what, are you, what are you holding on to that you need to let go of? 
And most of us from time to time have something we're carrying that we've got to let it go. And sometimes we can just decide through prayer, maybe a good friend, I'm going to let it go. And it's that you're able to do that. But sometimes it takes maybe talking to somebody who will walk with you because some things you've held on for so long, it's harder to even let go the longer you've, because it now, it kind of becomes a security. It becomes something I can hide with or hide behind. I'd rather keep a grudge. I'd rather avoid somebody than, have, than talk to them. We, we've got to let stuff go that we carry in our hands. And those hands now, because of all that stuff we carry, all the habits we carry, all the things we carry that are messing up our life, as long as we've got those in our hands, he can't put anything new in them. So we want to let them go. Let go. And then let him put in your hands what he's been wanting to do since the day you were born. It's not uncommon for the call of God in your life to be outside the scope of your comfort zone. That is not uncommon. Certainly it's been my experience. It is not uncommon for the call of God in your life to be outside the scope of your comfort zone. Many of you have discovered that God did in fact put something in your hands and it may be exhilarating and exciting, but it also may have moments that the responsibility feels rather heavy. But God didn't put anything in your hands. He doesn't put anything in your hands that he can't help you carry and those moments come that it seems heavy. And honestly, sometimes the truth is we don't want the responsibility of letting God use what he's put in our hands. That may cause us to have to make some changes in our attitude, changes in our schedule, changes in our finances, changes that are hard. Scott McKnight, wonderful theologian, what really matters is that you do what God made you to do, that you live that piece of God's dream that God gave to you. I'm gonna leave that up a little bit. You, you need to hear this. You need to read it. What really matters is that you do what God made you to do, that you live that piece of God's dream that God gave to you. And here's what I've learned and learned a long time. I wish I'd learned it a long time ago, but all the parts, at least my own testimony would be, God continued to do things, to give me a piece of God's dream. And sometimes they were absolutely terrifying. And it's pretty exciting it really has been good for me, okay? I, I, it has been so good for me. If I've not helped anybody, it has been good for me because I've had a, kind of had experiences now that I had no idea would come my way that are impossible, humanly speaking. They are. God can do stuff, you know, that we didn't think up, that we didn't ask for, that we didn't know we needed. God's got a plan so I want you to spend some time this week answering this question. You already probably started answering it. What do you got? What's in your hand? 
What do you thank God for that is in your hand? That's a good thing, even if it's challenging. But what are you going to ask God to help you let go of? What perspective would you like him to give you in this new year so you can move on from whatever it is that's holding you back? We're going to share communion. If you've got the bread in the cup, let's go ahead and let's open it. And I want, you, I want you to open it. We're going to hold on to it for a minute. If you didn't get one, they're over by the walls and uh, you can pick those up over there. We do this uh, once a month in all of our rooms and then in the chapel, uh, we do this uh, every Sunday. And then communion is always available at the walls, uh, over at the prayer walls. You'll see those uh, on the right and left as you look toward the stage. You'll see those walls where you can come and then uh, leave a prayer request. You can put your phone number on there. We'll call you if you want to call. So just be sure right now, you, now get that all opened up. Uh, and and uh, you know, sometimes just opening the, the communion uh, juice is enough to have something in your hand you'd like to throw at somebody, but we don't want to do that right now. <laughs> it, doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what it is, but here's what it is right now. Jesus said to his disciples, it's going to be easy to forget me. I'm paraphrasing. It's going to be easy to forget me someday when I'm gone. So he said, I want you to remember this. That this bread will always represent my body given for you, torn like a loaf of bread. It's like my body. And then he gave him the cup and he said, this will always remind you of the blood. The awful day on Calvary when you watched that blood, when you watched me literally bleed to death. But I did it because it was the only way in that moment, in that time, in that place that the message could get to the world that you do not have to live defeated and weighed down by junk in your hand that is killing your spirit or killing your attitudes, killing opportunities, keeping you from becoming all he's empowered you to be through his body and his blood and through the spirit. So that's why Jesus said, when you get together, you do this. Isn't that amazing? He didn't say, there's, there's a big monument here. I want you to go to that monument and be reminded. No, no. He said something so simple and so cheap. And he said, but you do this. Doesn't matter what's in the, what cup you got, how big or little it is, what's in it. Doesn't matter how big your piece of bread. You do this. So you remember who loves you. You do this. So you remember that in Christ, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He wants us to remember. Now just look at it for a moment. Let's look, just look at the bread and the cup for a moment. So what's in your hands? And the thought that's been, I never thought about this till this morning. I'm holding the symbols in my hands, reminded that his hands took the nails for me. Remember when he said, if there's any way, God, let this cup pass from me. But it wasn't God's will to do that. So we do this in remembrance of him. Let's take the bread together.
Let's take the cup together. I'm going to close us in prayer. And then um, our prayer teams will be across the front. I've seen some, a couple of things happening today at the prayer teams in the front of our rooms. As people are leaving the room, the prayer teams will be up here, scattered across the front of the stage. They're here to pray with you about anything. Maybe you're really ready to get brave and come down and ask one of the prayer team members, say, would you pray that I can let go of what's in my hand and I need to get rid of it so God can put what's right in my hands. You don't have to, they won't, you don't have to tell them what it is unless you want to. And you may just need to come down because it's a new year and you've got something you're afraid of and you just need someone to pray for you. Whatever it is, you feel the freedom to come after I pray. Let's pray. Father, we are truly thankful for your love for us. Father, we can't help but in this moment, thank you for this Bible. Goodness, it hits home. And it's so relevant. A story thousands of years old. And here we are, 2024, still learning this great truth that we got to be careful what we allow to stay in our hands. And we need to be alert to how you want to use our hands and what you want to put in our hands. So Father, we have so many reasons to be thankful. And Father, I thank you today that we all at least would agree you do have something for all of us. I pray you'll find us with our hands open and ready to receive. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody together said, amen and amen. Have a great day.